0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to, have morning, to help help out Justin there. Good morning, Zach. How are you? Good. How are you today? <laughs> We're excited. Where Where are you?
1: I'm in i South Florida. I'm in Delray Beach.
0: I was going to say it looks like that way for you, but we got the early edition here. Uh, although all three of us are on the East Coast as well now, so that's good. Zach Hirsch is the founder. Of I pick wins and. Uh, yeah. Nothing better than uh, picking wins. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, the, this is growing so rapidly, Zach. And, you know, uh, there's so many different options in what's going on with hedging bets. I mean, I, I probably every day get a different company uh, in the sports analytics space, the gambling space. Uh, and now that sports are opening up, uh, we're really, you know, seeing a, a lot of different opportunities now, Zach, you have unparalleled success in the space. How is it mathematically that you have such great success in, in being an, an accurate sports handicapper?
1: I think it's really a dedication to my craft. And it's something that I've been doing since I was so young, which normally I'm already so young. So it's pretty weird <laughs> to hear. But, yeah, I've, I've been studying and, you know, learning since I was, I was six, seven years old. And... Uh, That comes with a great deal of passion for me for all sports and also a photographic memory, which I think really helps me and remembering and being able to ingrain what I've heard. I've also worked in and around football. You know, I worked with the FAU football team, which, you know, pretty good team and, you know, some other stuff as well.
2: Zach, that's, that's pretty cool. And um, I'm going to go out here and put your other name on, on online. Mystic Zach. Uh, you go on your website, you see Mystic Zach. I, I love that, and I think that's amazing branding and marketing. What I want to talk about before I ask my serious question is what do you where do you see us this year? I know you know what that means in South Florida.
1: I'm a Hurricanes fan too. Um, I'm yeah. excited about the season. I hate that you know it starts off against Alabama. <laughs> you know that can derail anyone. So I, okay. I, I you know I, I feel good as a Hurricanes fan with Darri King coming back. I think I think they'll have their best season in a while.
2: It's good to get punched in the mouth right at the beginning of the season, right? Uh, but I digress, Zach. Uh, you know, you found something early in your life that not only were you passionate about, but that you were good at and you loved doing. And there's so many people that desire to turn their passions into the, into their professions. And so many people are discouraged from that, right? Folks say, hey, go get a real job. Um, you don't have to love what you do. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about how you figured out how to turn it into a business and what that journey was like. and What advice you have for other young people like yourself uh, that may want to turn their passion into their craft?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And it really started off that I wasn't doing enough. And uh, I wasn't doing enough to really supplant my passion of sports and everything. I wasn't doing anything with it. And uh, one day as a school project, someone, one of my teachers told me, Zach, this summer, I want you to make a little website, like a little blog, just talking about sports. I said, okay. But uh, I made my website and I decided I was going to pick sports games. I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think anything would happen. I made a few sports picks. And then all of a sudden I was in LA with Logan and Jake Paul and I was doing different stuff and I was kind of blowing up on Instagram and then it just took a life on its own, honestly.
3: Fantastic stuff. Good morning, Zach. I, I want to zoom way out for a minute, if we can, for a lot of our audience that hasn't been doing this as long as you have, that doesn't understand it that way. What is handicapping and how does I Pick wins help people with that? Because if they don't know, they're afraid of it. They stay away from it. How do you help introduce people to what handicapping is and bring them in so that they can, through your company, pick some wins?
1: Yeah, that's something that i really tried to do is bring in the casual person. And that's why I don't really put in fancy betting terms. I don't talk about an over, under, or I don't even talk about a money line or a spread. I've really tried to appeal to the most basic of bettors and the most basic of people because those are a lot of my fans and followers. And a lot of the people that I give picks to have a lot of money, but they don't know what any of that stuff means. So sports handicapping is just straight up picking a sports game. You know, who's going to win what? And that's what I describe it as. And of course, you know, you can get more analytical and more fancy with it, which I can do. But a lot of people that watch me don't really care much about that side.
0: And Zach, you know, if, you know, I'm looking at these numbers correctly with over 90% of all of those picks that you have correctly picked. Uh, and you're, you're making money from giving people those picks, I assume.
1: Yeah, it's getting turned into a business right now.
0: Right. So, you know, that's a high, high, high percentage. You know, I, I I would imagine you're making a ton of money.
1: You know, I was really giving them out for free. And uh, <laughs> I, I think that was the beauty of it.
0: But what <laughs> about betting your own money? What about betting your own money? Like, if, if I if I could pick 90%, what, what I would do is, number one, keep parlaying my shit. Uh, and then two, I would absolutely find the richest guys like us and say, hey, you know, give me $2 million and I'll turn it into $10 million. And can I keep the $2 million when I turn it into $10 It's a pretty good call, too. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you, need, you need some Dave Meltzer mentoring if, if you can have these numbers, because, man... If you're not making money off and you can pick 90%, I can see Justin chuckling at this because are you kidding me? Like, you realize that in handicapping, people that pick 51% or 52% are multimillionaires. Yeah, so those are some of the you're best You're let, picking Let's go for it, man. You give me a, david at com. Give me an email after this because I have so many people to introduce you to. Uh, and let's make some real money and help people and have fun. I'll donate my winnings to charity, but but I, I, I'm all over this.
2: I'm excited. Let's go, champ. Right yeah, on. Zach, Zach, I'm extremely happy to help, too. I, I think Dave is spot on. There's so much that you can do. And, and, and In fact, the fact that you're a younger guy and you're not this you know, 55-year-old Hey, slow down there, buddy. And, <laughs> Uh, Picking sports picks, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's going to endear you to a lot of folks in the space because it's so different. Um, one of the things I'm curious about is, can you tap us into without giving out the secret sauce? Uh, what is your method, and, and does it translate across the number of sports? I know you you started in combat sports, but you also do football. Are you into basketball, hockey, golf? T- talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, you know, every myth that's different, and it's not really one size fits all, especially when you're talking about combat sports compared to a football or a basketball, they're so different. And uh, it's just the fact that I've grown up around it. You know, growing up, my dad had a boxing gym, so I've been watching boxing and been around it for a long, long time. And then on the football side of things, I've been playing it my whole life, watching it my whole life, studying it my whole life. So really the sports that I handicap are the ones that I personally follow and have a passion for. And I think that's very important. It's something that I wouldn't miss even if I wasn't handicapping. And I wouldn't, I would still be studying it if I wasn't making money from it. So I, I think that the passion runs deep for the sports that I pick. And I think that's a really important trait for it.
3: Totally agree. Zach, two questions. One builds off of David's first question just now. And then uh, I'll have a quick follow up. First question is, how much of if you can quantify in terms of what you're doing with the handicapping is human interaction what you're doing what you're saying what you know versus the predictive analytics and everything that the computer's doing where sometimes and do those clash sometimes second question jake paul or tyrone woodley on august 29th
2: you just he just said he was a real boxing thing you asked him about jake paul man
3: that's his <laughs> David, is jake it. Paul's David a good friend. friend yeah yep yeah. yeah, i know but uh I know
1: yeah that's a great question about the analytics compared to you know what i've seen and what i felt and uh it's mostly analytics and mostly you know scientific if i'm being honest it's mostly you know what i'm seeing online i don't like to go against that i don't go against the grain i go against the things that have got me here and what i've studied and learned my whole life and uh you know i go to the mit stone sports analytics conference i'm very deep into it not you know i have a very deep passion for analytics and really getting to that second level of sports in general. And if, if that supports something and I think something else, I won't pick it. Uh, You know, it's gotta be both sides. It's gotta be, I really believe it. And the science also backs it up. And uh, I've got Jake Paul by knockout August 29th.
3: There you go. You
1: know, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think his boxing is a lot further along than people think. We've only seen a few rounds of him. He's a big, athletic kid, and uh, I think people are going to be shocked when they see him.
0: Yeah, he's going to shock the world like Craig Siegel shocks the world. It's amazing. (laughs) Uh, So, man, uh, hey Zach, uh, uh, you remind me of Dan Patrick, who's not too far from you there uh, in in South Florida. Dan Patrick had a passion for sports. He played sports, obviously played basketball at University of Dayton, but he told me a story that reminds me of you. He, He said, you know. I would sit at the fraternity parties and I would uh, stand by the door and I tell people, you can't leave till you stump me on a, on a trivia sports question. That's how much uh, he loved sports and, and understanding, uh, you know, facts of sports and statistics of sports. And I'm sure it didn't get him too many dates though. Uh, and uh, to that matter, you, you're, you're so young. How has these analytics affected your personal or social life? Have, you know, a lot, a a lot of people, you know, in your situation, you have to engulf yourself into the numbers to understand how the sticks, you call it science. I call it statistics. Uh, And so, you know, understanding the math takes a long time. And then you have all the other, you know, photographic memory types of things. How has it impacted your personal life?
1: Uh, You know, sports take up a lot of my time, but I wouldn't say it's impacted my personal life because something I've kind of dealt with and, you know, teeter totter with my whole life. I've always had a, a, I've always been obsessed with sports. I mean, when I was younger, I would wake up at seven a.m., put on Sports Center, and watch it for four hours. I mean, that's just, and then I would go play Madden for a few hours and look, study all the rosters and look at all the did ratings you think, and punch up the numbers.
0: Did you take statistics yourself? No. No.
1: It's all been self-taught, honestly.
0: That's amazing. So if I flip a coin a hundred times uh, and it comes up heads, what what's the chances it comes up heads the hundredth and first time?
2: 50%.
0: You got it. See, without taking statistics, he understands gambling. <laughs> amazing. Go ahead, D.
2: Zach, I think the most obvious question and I think we can think of, of, of friends that own professional teams that have dove way into the analytics with Dave's good friend Tillman being one of them and One of the folks that has ran his analytics department is a good friend of mine, uh, Hall, over the years. You remind me of him um, because he's, you know, someone that at a young age was at the MIT conference very, very consistently. Uh, What is your long term goal in sports beyond just the picking business? Is there an element to what you do that can be translated to the analytical uh, game in terms of performance, player performance and make yourself a little bit more attractive on the team side?
1: that's a great question as well. And really my long-term goal has just been to be a media personality, you know, is to get on ESPN, get on a Showtime, get on one of those types of networks. And I've been pushing for it. I'm now working with Triller, doing the odds and the interviews. And I work with the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship and Impact Network. So I've got some network gigs and, you know, some stuff going. I've interviewed a lot of people especially in the boxing space, guys like Floyd Mayweather, Logan Paul, Jake Paul, Canelo Alvarez, Roy Jones Jr., a lot of different people. So that's really what I've been trying to break into is break into sports media as a, uh, as a fan and someone that can really speak and speak pretty well, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. You'll have yeah. to... Uh you'll have to reach out to me because we'll make enough money to buy a network uh, with your p- picking capability. So there'll be no problem making you the king of all sports analytic media. You'll be amazing. And I had worked with Joey Brander, another South Florida kid, who was the first kid on ESPN uh, and Disney. And uh, he's also someone that we'll introduce you in uh, into at First Serve Partners uh, in the eSports world as well. Uh, but please reach out to us, my friend. We have a bright future together. Uh, We're changing the name of the domain to We Pick Wins, and we're going to raise a ton of money for charity, make billions of dollars, buy (laughs) a network. We'll be the the face of the network. Does that sound fair? Sounds fair. All right, Zach. Reach out, David at dmelzer.com. I can't wait to talk to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Zach. He's an inspiration, man. He's so young and so vibrant. Awesome.
0: Nice. Yeah, exactly. All right. We will bring our friend on, of course, Matthew Newman is next up with Kareem Grimes, the founder and CEO of Trusso Partners. I doubt they can uh, make as much money as Zach is going to make in his career with 90% (laughs) picking uh, rates. Without knowing statistics, it just goes to show you the amazing world of sports analytics. Right, Matthew?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) It, 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 it It makes me rethink. Am I
0: in the right industry or not? <laughs> That's so good. Well, uh, it's just an honor to have you here uh, and everything that you're doing with inclusion and equity in the business world uh, for you and the founder of you know several seven-figure businesses to help empower other people uh, to advance their personal and career aspirations. I don't know if you know this, but we set a record in 2020 for the most Black-owned new businesses uh, mm-hmm. and, in history. So, uh, people like you are needed uh, at Truso Partners to help facilitate and empower uh, creating what we need. And uh, obviously you're active right in my new offices neighborhood uh, with the gentrification of Inglewood. Uh, so give us a little bit of background on Trusseau and using, you know, an app as well to help that networking and empowerment capability
4: absolutely. First of all, very, very quickly, I'll say this, I'll, and I know that once Kareem speaks as well, we're just ex- excited to be here. It's early, of course, here on the West Coast, but opportunities like this just don't come often. Um, and so to your point is, it's important for us as Black founders to be on platforms such as this, so we have are able to demonstrate to others that it's possible. That's number one. So I to start off by saying that. But Truso is simply a, a, a short name for truly social which we have found in some studies as we were preparing the the app development, is that video is much more advantageous to mental health than audio is. And so we know the rise that audio-based apps have had. But what we've learned, especially for the community, though the app is not strictly for the Black community, what we've realized to have a significant impact in our community is to really put forth an application that is advantageous to an area that plagues our community which is mental health. And so why not incorporate the basic functionality of video conferencing, or excuse me, not conferencing, but video chatting in an application that allows us to have conversations around areas that impact our community. So that's what TRUSO is all about. It's an application that allows you to be truly social because video is much more advantageous to mental health. I'll say this and I'll be done with this quick answer here is that we have audio apps, audio apps, or base apps that say they are a new social network based on audio, but we say we are a
2: true social network based on video. I like that. That that makes a lot of sense. And there's something about the interaction where you can see people face to face versus just hearing them. And you know, you think about the success that Clubhouse has had, and it's a whole bunch of people all over just listening to each other like old school radio. Uh, I can see this as another step in the right direction with that. And Kareem is, is shaking his head there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and put Kareem on the spotlight here because I'm going to call him Preach, which is his character in All-American. <laughs> uh, very, very humble guy here. I'm going to ask you, I have so many questions for the two of you. Obviously, I'm huge fans. I'm, I'm all about um, everybody being successful, but especially love to see minority entrepreneurs, uh, especially in the tech startup uh, and, um, and corporate space, because one of my missions uh, when I wake up every day is to be a role model for young black and brown kids around the world to, to see that you can be successful in a space other than entertainment or sports. And Kareem is doing both. And I would love to tap into how you've used that uh, visibility on television to help enhance your your branding and leverage that you know for Truso and some of your other projects.
5: Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, David. Um, I think it's very important um, if you if you look through the the history of uh, entertainment and how um, actors have used their platform to bring awareness to certain things. Uh, if you look at, you know, we are the world. <laughs> it was a bunch of singers that got together to raise money for, you know, Africa, you know, and it was such a huge it was such a huge hit, you know, uh, everybody came along. And I think that, you know, through the years, you have actors, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and and I can go on and on who've used their platform to raise awareness for certain causes. Uh, As with me, same thing. I truly believe uh, having a platform, having social media is so important uh, because not only do we use our platform uh, to be able to get the awareness out, but also to, like you said, wake up each and every morning to, you know, inspire, you know, black and brown kids around the world uh, to say, hey, you know what? It's not all about being a basketball player. It's not all about going to the NFL or the MLB, but doing something outside of that, whether it's, you know, stem cell research or, you know, the the young guy you guys had on here statistics, You know, and I think for me to say, hey, I'm an actor, but not only that, I'm also in the tech space gives a whole different perspective of, you know, diversifying your portfolio to where it's not all about just acting. It's about doing other things outside of that that can make an impact uh, just in in the world. Uh, So I I truly believe having social media and using it in the right way, because we know people can use social media in such a negative, negative way. But Uh, you know, I definitely use my 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 social media uh to to promote positivity, uh but education, uh and also to let people know, hey, I'm not just an actor as well. I do other things.
3: Man, I absolutely love what you guys are doing, Matthew and Kareem. So congratulations. You know, as someone who's you're welcome. You As someone who sits on the board of a uh, National Teenage Suicide and Adolescent Mental Health Awareness Foundation, I really resonate with what you're saying. And what you just said, Kareem, absolutely true, right? Because we're shaped by our opportunities. And a lot of times people especially – I grew up in the inner city. I grew up with a single mother. I remember we didn't – I remember the opportunities and access people had in the city there when I looked around and seeing that really they were limited only by their thoughts and beliefs as to what the world really was. So you guys opening that window, that door – is incredible. So congratulations. What? How is it structured? I'm, I'm curious because I can't wait to go on and look at it so that if I am interested in, in tech or in entrepreneurship or in sports uh, or, or in writing or, or acting, or you know if I want to be a math teacher, um, how is it structured in a way so that I can find those things and find that content that resonates with me?
4: Great question. And early on in another business of ours that contributes to Truso, uh, we had a asset that we've actually leased from that specific company legally. and essentially it's a resource library. So that resource library is a place where all of these certain documents are held that entrepreneurs need to either start, fund or sustain their business. That's number one. So the reason I preface with that is because that is a driver to what we refer to as what we refer to as silos. And so we got this name from actually Robert Herjavec from Shark Tank. He actually consulted uh, another one of our businesses uh, very briefly, very briefly, not a paid consultation. But nonetheless, he says, hey, look, like you you should incorporate silos. And these silos are important because it does allow, to your question, Mike, allow folks to funnel into certain topics and information. And those silos break into seven different categories, ranging from arts and culture design, business and marketing, fitness and wellness, tech talk, right? And also spirit matter, and we could not leave out politics. And so all of these specific areas, my pastor in Dallas said something that's very important. He says that when it comes to areas that are important to youth, especially inner city youth, underserved or underrepresented youth, there are many touching touch points. It's not just police brutality, but it's education. Right. And so with that being said, we know that that's the same for entrepreneurship. Like there are ways or, 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 or areas that all entrepreneurs should be touched at and they should be touched at funding. They should be touched at sustainability. How do I scale a company? Some folks have made a thousand. but How do you scale now to 10,000? How do you scale from 10 to 100, 100 to million and handling those amounts of money? It's different at every level. So having those different silos in place help helps us to not only funnel back into that top those topics so people can easily find it but that's but that's the structure structured by seven different silos on the application
3: love it
0: and as you launch uh you know your beta of the app and have this idea of inspiring and empowering other people the inclusion that's necessary we did this within the nfl with the rooney rule right is to provide opportunities and options for everyone a fair opportunity and fair options for everyone. And in order to do that, you got to get people that look like Mike uh, and myself uh, to get behind this. And, you know, I am obviously an advocate uh, as my business partner, Warren Moon, and worked on the Clemente family for years and Jackie Robinson and all the things that, that I have and Lee Steinberg has and Warren has done to elevate the awareness to what you're doing to help empower others to empower others someday. Uh, but it has to be inclusive from the top as well. What are some of the things you're doing to include everybody to get this thing funded correctly, raise the awareness to make sure that you know we're doing the best and the most that we can uh, to elevate others, to elevate ourselves?
4: It's such an important question. And the ins- inclusivity phase, most folks say it, it's, it's, it's more than just Android and iPhone inclusivity, but it's also, also ethnicity inclusion. So it's very important that you ask, and we appreciate that, David. So one of the things that we're doing from top down is ensuring that, one, we have a solid board. A lot of the folks that, of course, you won't see uh, face or, or won't be front-facing. A lot of the folks you see will be African-American, African-American or Black that you will see front-facing. Uh, but those behind the scenes, it's kind of like helping to grease the wheels per se, will be from all backgrounds. To your point is that people use social media differently. And so it's gonna be important for us to assign the right folks into those specific roles on our board to ensure that we have inclusive thoughts and contributions to our to our development
2: process.
0: Awesome.
2: Yeah, that is really awesome, and it's really important for for an app. I know one of, the, and we've all been in, involved in advising apps and different roles with them, and, and some of the difficulties early on are, you know, it's on iOS but it's not on Android, so. Trusso is already on iOS and Android, so that means that the tech is at a certain place. What What do you see Trusso needing in, over the next 12, 18 months for you guys to reach your goals as, as one of the, the go-to social media apps? What are the things in the marketing plan that you guys are doing to expand the reach? One of, one of the, the primary drivers to our
4: application, to Trusso specifically, is understanding who's playing in the social space from an influencer standpoint. Yeah. You got one right here, Dave Meltzer. <laughs> yeah, <I know> <laughs> well, for both Mike and David, we should yeah. have conversations as I'm sure many folks say on y'all show, but it, it, you know, it's, it's incredibly important, but we should have a conversation to figure out how do we all get, how do we get you at the table? That's number one. And that's a wholeheartedly not on camera type of live thing, it's like real talk. Um, but it's it's getting those one of the drivers in our in our business plan, our business is strictly driven by influencer. Uh and now, of course, we have our own, own, own opportunities to do marketing promotions, et cetera, from an internal standpoint, but we understand the value that is in folks like Kareem. But like when you think of Kareem, Kareem has touch points on all types of folks, folks that are older than him and then then younger than him. Yeah. So who are those people? Right. We talk about young TikTok and black TikTok. Who are those power drivers on Black TikTok? So that's what we're really going to need is keeping up with who those hot folks are on all of these social media platforms. That's continuing to make them who they are today.
5: And just to add on to that, I think part of the reason why, referring back to Clubhouse, is that it was, there was exclusivity. You know, you had to know somebody who was on to who was on Clubhouse who said, "Hey." You know, this is this is the new this is the newest hottest thing going on. And how I found uh found out about it is a friend of mine who's a director. He's directing a, a movie right now. And he was like, Hey man, this is Clubhouse. There's some very important people on here. You know, um, I will have to invite you. It's a really small circle right now, but you know, this is where it's going. So I think when you say exclusivity, everybody wants to be. The VIP. Everybody wants to be the first in line. Everybody wants to be that important person. And I think, uh, you know, along with uh, with Truso, it's like like uh, Matthew said, it's about getting you know the the right
0: people, the right influencers on uh, to move this uh, to move this train. And that's what you guys are doing. And yeah. with an innate ability, uh, as you Kareem personally have, and, and Matthew to now amplify that to garner key relationships for everyone to yeah. locate the necessary product services and solutions and talent uh, to take advantage of the great potential uh, that we have with inclusion and allowing all of us to, you know, make more money, help more people and have more fun. And Matthew, uh, I know I would love to have that conversation offline to see how I could be of service uh, to you and Kareem, of course, and uh, everyone make sure you join us on clubhouse uh, 6. AM right, right after this show Pacific <laughs> time. I, I'm, I'm in California normally, so I'm with you guys, and I appreciate you getting up very early, especially if you're in the entertainment world. Uh, There could be some seriously late nights, so thank you both. (laughs) We'll have have you on some other shows and have some offline conversations. I appreciate both of you. Check out Jointruso.com. Thank you so much, Matthew, Newman, and Kareem Grimes. Take care. Thank Thank you, guys. Look forward to talking.
2: Thank you. All right. Thank you. Dave, Mike, I also Thanks, have to Dave. jump off. This is Friday. Um, what an amazing show. I, I regret that I have to leave, but I love you guys, and I'll see you in a few. What's your takeaway? Uh, my takeaway is in order to get to the finish line, you got to take the first step. And Trousseau, uh, they're taking the first step. Uh, Zach, with his, with his company, he's still figuring out where those steps will take him, but he took the first step. He's got his website. He's getting the process going. So just start. I love it. Right,
0: matter what age you are? All right. Bye, Dave. Take care. good luck. Love Dave. You guys, good night. luck brother. Love you man. <laughs> All right. Awesome Last but show. Not least, as we're talking about inclusion, now we got three middle-aged white guys. This is good. All right. Uh Scott Benson, founder <laughs> <the> and <laughs> CEO of Strawberry Frog, strawberryfrog.com, and he just has his new book which I love, Active Brand Purpose. Uh and uh how to Harness the Power of Movements to Transform Your Company. Um, I want to start, you know, coming from the company aspect, uh, how does your book relate to personal brand? Uh, because within the context of, you know, movement marketing and uh, where we're moving to, uh, I see from the Fortune 500 down, uh, more than ever, the personal brand within Uh, even the largest companies in the world are sometimes even more important than the brand itself. uh, As we see the leaders flying out to Mars or outer space uh, and building those brands of some pretty big companies. Uh, Scott, how is that related to the active brand purpose?
6: Well, so uh, the idea of having a company purpose is something that's becoming more popular these days with a lot of leaders. And uh, I think, Basically, the reason is because people who run companies, whether they're entrepreneurs starting a business or where they're running the largest companies in this country. But the realizing is it's really hard to uh, attract talent and to attract new customers. So by having a purpose and more importantly, activating that purpose, you can increase the willingness for people to come and work for your company more than having a cool brand. Um, and you can increase the willingness for people to buy from your company more than a cool advertising campaign. So the purpose, we're seeing that through empirical data. It's absolutely proven. It's it's the case, especially coming out of COVID. Um, and your question is, is really a great one because you can't have a purpose superficially. And the best way to tie a CEO or a leader... To a company purposes, is for you to work with the individual to help them identify their own purpose and if they have their own purpose in life and i don't mean get up and make a lot of money i mean like what are you doing so that you have meaning and and uh, and, and a deeper purpose in your life if you can help a leader figure that out for themselves you can get them to a point where they're leading a company in such a dynamic way that they're galvanizing their employees and they're engaging all different types of stakeholders. And by doing that, their company is going to just grow like crazy.
3: Yeah. Good morning, Scott. Hey, Uh, Mike. Hey, you said something that's really, really critically important, in my opinion. You said not just having a purpose, but activating the purpose, right? And that's where I think a lot of a lot of people fumble. What are the keys to, at least initially, in your opinion, activating a purpose?
6: Well, I think, um, you know, this idea of purpose has been around a long time, and if there's like an ancient Japanese philosophy, which is all about if you don't have a purpose, you kind of go around wandering in life meaningless, and you end up on your deathbed sort of saying, what was this all about. <laughs> I know it sounds like no, that sounds like sense, but if you think about it, actually, uh, it does make sense. Um, and, you know, there's a guy named Viktor Frankl who was a concentration camp victim. He wrote a book in the, 1945, which was all about, you know, man's uh, sure. search for meaning in your life, right? Um, and that's a great book as well. It shows you, again, why having a purpose can help you through crisis. And in that particular case, a really difficult uh, crisis. Um, and today, you know, 2021, we are faced with some significant issues in our world. We have, I mean, a lot. So I don't have to go through them. Everyone's aware the smoke is. We're seeing the smoke from the fires out west in New York City. So the world's in some peril. Um, and it's not enough just to be a woke leader. You gotta be a warrior. You gotta really get out there and try to do something. Because honestly, the uh, climate change <coughs> clock in Um, in uh, Union Square says six years to uh, severe, you know, climate change. So things are pretty tough um, and companies, capitalism has been very beneficial to our world, but it's also created a uh, shitload of problems. Um, So looking at that, you know, where do you start? And if you're a leader today, you have a purpose to your point. You know, what is my purpose? A lot of these purposes, unfortunately, tend to be very, um they're much the same you know um they're like making the world a better place they, they tend to be some people can argue they're they're like purpose washing they're almost they're they're so innocuous they don't do anything they're kind of toothless you know i ever see someone walking around with any teeth that's like a lot of purposes they're kind of toothless so <laughs> how do you take that toothless purpose you know if you have a purpose and it's like we're going to make a better world today f- tomorrow like Okay, what does that mean? How do you actually do that? Um, and there are a lot of people out there just waiting for you to not deliver on what your purpose is, and they'll point you out. That's called cancel culture. They'll say that's you know that that leader's BS. They don't do what they say. Um, so what do you do to start? If you have a purpose, the first thing you need to do is identify an enemy. You know what are you fighting against? It's like a classic. Uh, if you think about creating a movement, I'm going to go out there and create a movement, whatever the movement is. It could be a political movement. It could be a movement to get people to walk to school in your community. You need to identify something that is, un, you know, some wrong that has to be righted. Like those old Hollywood movies where the village is sitting there, you know, all in, in the little village and all of a sudden Frankenstein runs in and everybody goes home and gets their pitchfork. You get that enemy and you can crystallize uh, people's emotions around keeping the enemy out of out of the village and some people use that tactic to create positive momentum and some people use that for evil means unfortunately Um, but that's a very powerful way you identify the enemy and then you try to develop small group of people who are really passionate about this idea that you're bringing to the world, or I wouldn't say bringing to the world, that's really crystallizing an idea that's already existing. You know, you can't really go out there and say, I'm going to create a, I'm going to create a purpose and then activate it with a movement. Um, You almost have to see what's going on in the world and and find a way to articulate it. So people go, Oh, that's a new way of thinking about it, but it's exactly how I feel. And then you can, you know, motivate people to, participate and then share with their friends and and then it just starts to grow from there.
0: And Scott, you know, I have learned the thoughts about our purpose are our purpose and then to create a collective consciousness around those thoughts uh, give meaning to what we see more than the reverse, which so many people try to find purpose in <laughs> things. Uh, and that's where movements are created is the ability to articulate your thoughts about purpose and have others align uh, to that with activity. Um, In your experience in the movement marketing space, how do we get a corporation uh, to align uh, with their thoughts about purpose and then their consumer partners, channel partners and community to do the same?
6: So we, so like years ago, I, um, I started working in the advertising world back in the 1980s. Actually, the first client I worked with was Bjorn Borg. I don't know if you remember him.
0: Yeah. Oh, sure.
6: yeah. So I lived in Sweden at the time, and this was in the 80s, and Borg developed a fashion line before um, Nike and Michael Jordan, the first professional athlete in the world, actually after Stan Smith, because he was actually the first with his shoes at Adidas. After Stan Smith, the next – athlete to actually have a fashion line was Bjorn Borg. So I worked with the launch of that and that was great. It was like your typical creative advertising campaign. Um, But uh, in the Nordics, in Northern Europe at the time, consumers were demanding more of companies. They wanted less packaging. So they felt there was too much pollution. They were putting pressure on companies to hire more women so that, you know, their women could be represented in big decisions about, Uh, how companies were run and so forth. Those days it was called purpose, like finding your purpose as a, as a, as a leadership team. Like how can we, how can we um, solve some more social issues that customers were asking for? It wasn't like CEOs were like, Oh, let's make the world a better place. No, it was like customers demanded the companies act a certain way. And so they started to have a purpose so they could articulate to their own people why they were doing these things. Why they were getting involved in, you know, sex, having sex, uh, women in, in, in companies and, and other issues. Um, in those days, we started developing purpose strategies. And, uh, it, you know, in, in Northern Europe at the time, it was um, pretty easy to launch those ideas. People got it. But as we started to develop those ideas for companies like IKEA, which, you, you know, we, in those days, we actually launched it globally uh, outside of Sweden, Um, And other Swedish companies, we realized that as soon as we took this purpose strategy and we brought it to like, you know, um, Eastern Europe or uh, Southeast Asia or even Australia or Brazil, or even when we came to the United States, people were like, what are you talking about? Like, you just want gum, like Wrigley's gum. Like, don't, don't come in and start talking about saving the world. In the Nordics, they did. Fast forward 2021, and now the rest of the world is all saying, oh, yeah, we get it. We, wanna, we want more than just a great product. We want company to treat people internally better. We want more women and so forth. So purpose is becoming really important. What I realized back in those days in the 19, uh, early 90s was as we were going to other countries, when we started talking about this purpose as a movement, like a social movement, people got it. Because purpose can be real, th- really theoretical. It can be almost like a feel like you're doing like a university course or something, a college course. So, but when you start talking in it, when you put in the framework of a social movement, uh, people get it. Because everyone, you know, ever since you were a kid, you you know what a movement is. So you get it. So, and it helps you to simplify a purpose and turn it into a mobilizing uh, construct. So people kind of get. Oh my god, I get what it is. Um, so when we, so the, you know, one of the first clients we worked with back in the late '90s was a, we worked with a guy named Mr. His name was Hayek. He was the owner of Swatch, and he had this crazy idea of launching a car called the Smart Car. So we worked with Smart Car. They were based in Biel, Switzerland, and they they partnered with Mercedes. And instead of launching another B segment car, we launched a movement to reinvent the urban environment. So the Smart Car was meant to be a concept that, you know, brought together Mercedes, the mayors and, and councils of local towns, the parking organization, and rental car companies to try to figure out how do we deal with all this crap? You know, we've got traffic that's killing us. We've got smog that's making our lungs bad. We've got on weekends parking lots full of rental cars that nobody's using. How do we do this better? There's no parking spots So what we did with smart was we brought these people together and said, okay, how do we solve these issues? And that was the smart concept. It was like, we're going to try to solve these bigger issues. And, and then smart, because it was this tiny car started coming up with its own innovative ideas like parking sideways and uh, the dealerships were like vending machines. So it didn't take a lot of space and, and stuff like that. Anyway, that was really the first movement. It wasn't like the launch of a new two, uh, you know, a two-passenger B-segment little sporty car. It was reinvent. Join us to reinvent the urban environment, and so people from different, um, you know, areas that may not have been interested in launching a new car, like the parking authority, could join together to help promote this car because the car was helping to solve bigger issues. So when we did that in the '90s, the car was like a huge success, and. If, you are, if you've worked with cars, you know that launching a new car is really tough. You know, you can't just, I mean, most car launches fail. This car, which was a new car from, um, from Swatch, which has never launched a car, and Mercedes, who kind of was into it but not so much, was a huge success. It grew across Europe, came to the U.S., as you know. Didn't do as well here as it did in other countries, um, but, but it's still here. And uh, and that was a movement. And we took that learning and we applied that to um, Heineken, to Emirates Airlines in Dubai, to Walmart, which who we work with, to uh, Truist Bank, which is a huge institution in the United States. Jim Beam, you know, we launched a movement when Jim Beam was when the majority of Americans who drank Jim Beam were in their 70s and Jack Daniels was 12 bucks a bottle and Jim Beam was 8 bucks a bottle and two free shot glasses on the bottom shelf of you know the local liquor store same liquid more or less we came in and created a movement with me lacunas against the patriarchy and for equality today Jim Beams uh, average drinker is uh, either a male or a female it's hovering in the 40s, whereas Jack Daniels is in the late 50s, early 60s. So now Beam has usurped Jack, is killing it in the market. They've increased their price because we created a movement for the brand. Um, And there's a lot of great examples of of that. Is that amazing? That's amazing.
0: It's great when someone can actually tell case studies on that and proving, you know, as, as we live in that, that same space of purpose. And, you know, for me having a mission to empower over a billion people that would have been obsequious or stupid just to come out. It's the ability to create content every day to empower a thousand people like you in every field industry or career to empower a thousand to empower a thousand. Then it started making sense to people. And that's why these case studies or connecting the dots backwards. I will say one thing just because Coming from the sports world, a big shout out to Chuck Taylor uh, from Converse, who was the original Michael Jordan. Uh, yeah. but I don't think he did quite economically as well, uh, but you could imagine when you're when, when you're the CEO of the world's first smartphone. It wasn't even called that. I know what it's like to be too early. Uh, Chuck Taylor really knew what it was like to be too early. He'd be spinning around in his grave, seeing how much Michael Jordan's making and seeing the the jump man on golf and tennis and every sport in the world. Somehow you can put a guy dunking a basketball and that's attractive. But he knows movement marketing and he is a purpose. So we got to jump because I got training at 6 a.m. on Clubhouse everywhere. Scott, thank you so much. Strawberry Frog, strawberryfrog.com. I, uh, you know, believe it or not, this type of movement marketing can change and even save the world. So thank you so much. Uh, big, big,
6: thank you, Scott. Thank, thank you. you guys. Appreciate forward it forward to reading. Thank Take you, care. Scott. Alrighty. Take, Alrighty. Take care.
0: Alrighty. Take care. Okay. Mikey takeaway of the day. Cause we got to meet in about 10
3: minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quickly, quickly. That's right. Um, you know, look, Zach was knocking it out of the park at 90%, right, with his picks. I think there's one way that we could even improve a little more than 90%. If you want to predict the future, create it. And that's what the guys and, and people who are on today are doing, right? They're creating their future. So they're likely to see what they want. So that's it. Super excited about all of them connecting with everyone who was on here today. So that's well, that that, that, those are my takeaways, man. I'm Yeah.
0: Yeah, three three great guests. Uh, to me, I think of how I put my signature on my email: race ipsa Loquiter. That which speaks for itself. All three of the people on here: Zach, of course, uh, Matthew well, there's four, Green, T is four, and Scotty. Love uh, that which speaks for themselves, and they're all purpose driven, uh, all yeah. different ages, all different backgrounds. Uh, I really enjoyed. It. I didn't know Swatch started the smart car, but. <laughs> My main man, Jakey Bakey, he'll drive that smart car and uh, he can park that thing anywhere. So (laughs) Jakey, just want to give him a shout out as well, as well as Jakey, not too bad. Wake it up early. He did a good job producing the show that he created. Uh, Thank you, Justin Pugh. All right, everyone. Clubhouse, IG, the webinar, over 50,000 people registered for Friday training. Been doing them for over 21 years and loving it. Today is B-Y-O-Q. You bring the questions, I'll bring the answers. You can reach out to me, David at DeanBeltzer.com. Remember, most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
2: Thank you.